You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. Tragedy on the set of Deadpool 2 filming in Vancouver right now. A female stunt driver died shooting a scene involving a motorcycle. Aaron MacArthur is at Jackpool Plaza where the stunt was being filmed. And Aaron, so many people saw this unfold right in front of them. Yeah, with Deadpool 2 filming in downtown Vancouver, it's become quite the spectacle for people to watch the stunts unfold in front of them. Today they saw what happened when things go wrong. A woman into the glass window behind me. And according to witnesses, this is Hollywood, right? This is a superhero movie. Wasn't wearing a helmet. A stunt gone horribly wrong. A woman riding a motorbike for what was supposed to be a small part of Deadpool 2. Somehow, she was launched off this Ducati into the windows of a ground-floor TV studio in the Shaw Building. Dozens of people watching as the performer was taken to an ambulance. Motorcycle comes flying over the street. Looked like off a ramp because it was in the air. Standing on the bike, slams into that building, clearly hit and out of control and and, uh, clearly not planned. Witnesses say the stunt was rehearsed multiple times, and sources tell Global News a number of different takes were shot without incident. On the last take, after the rider went down the stairs in Jackpool Plaza, the bike shot forward, accelerating to the other side of the street. I was walking into work, and I heard rev, rev, rev of the bike. I saw the bike out of control and flew right into the building. The VPD were on scene immediately. Paramedics, too. The woman's injuries too severe, and she was pronounced dead at the scene. Now the investigation is being conducted by WorkSafe BC and the coroner service. The coroner service uh, is involved in fact-finding, and uh, if we can make any recommendations to prevent future deaths, uh, that's that's one of our key roles. Ryan Reynolds has been in Vancouver shooting the sequel to his superhero blockbuster for the last week and a half, posing and joking around with VPD officers last week. Today, he took to Twitter to issue a brief statement expressing his heartfelt condolences to the woman's family. Production has been halted for the day. It is scheduled to shoot around Vancouver for the rest of the month. No word on how this tragedy will affect the remainder of the production schedule. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, Aaron, what have you learned about the investigations? Because we understand there's more than one here. Yeah, that's right, Chris. The VPD is not investigating at this point. There's no criminality as of yet. The coroner's service and WorkSafe BC will be looking at this accident, looking at things like the safety of the motorbike, whether there were safety issues on set, and and whether the rider was experienced enough to be on set. All those questions might take some time to sort out, but WorkSafe BC might have a preliminary report as early as next week, something we will be keeping an eye on. Back to you. No doubt. Aaron MacArthur live in Vancouver. Now, a related note here, actor Tom Cruise also recently injured on set. The actor is known for doing his own stunts, but while filming Mission Impossible 6 in London on Sunday, he leapt off a roof but came up a little short. He did it again, but slammed into the side of the building both times. He eventually climbed up onto the roof, but was clearly limping after the take, favoring his right leg. Now, the extent of his injury is unknown. Now, just up the street from the Deadpool 2 accident, a tour bus jumped the curb on Sunday, striking a group of tourists. Today, the Vancouver Trolley Company addressed the tragedy, 
Grace Key has more on what was said and the company's safety record and a warning some of the images in this story you may find disturbing. All of us at Vancouver Trolley Company are shocked and deeply saddened. A day after a deadly collision, the general manager of the Vancouver Trolley Company speaks out, outlining his organization's safety record. Stuart Coventry says the buses go through a mandatory third-party inspection every six months and a daily driver pre-trip inspection. The driver involved has been with our company for seven years and has an excellent service and driving record. He has a spotless, spotless driver's abstract with the National Safety Code Office. Oh my God! The charter bus pinned down three tourists. It happened 10 o'clock Sunday morning on Burrard and Canada Place Way. Witnesses say the bus was moving slowly when it hit a parked SUV and the three standing nearby. A 49-year-old man died. An elderly man remains in serious condition and a 14-year-old girl suffered minor injuries. We're now learning they are related and we're visiting from Massachusetts. I just saw a, a big bus and uh, run into a car. It wasn't really that loud. It was just like uh, like two cars hit. You can hear the uh, impact. One passenger on board the bus posted on social media, one minute after we started the trip, the bus seemed to have a problem with the brakes, and we definitely saw the driver trying to make it stop. The Vancouver Police Department is trying to determine how this tragedy happened. Now, there's many things we don't understand at this point either. It's... It, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's a very, it's a very difficult time for us. The company has been in business for 20 years. Its current safety status is listed as satisfactory, with no government safety interventions within the past two years. Grace Key, Global News. The family of a migrant worker is apologizing tonight for her bizarre behavior that left a West Kelowna woman fearing for her life and the lives of her children. The 24-year-old worker from Brazil was naked when she broke into a West Kelowna home earlier this month, confronting the homeowner inside. The suspect's uncle says it was completely out of character for his niece and suspects drugs played a role, something the owner of the farm where the woman worked says he's also heard. We are also worried about the involuntary use of drugs. Someone give drugs for her. So some type of bad drug mix, uh, either slipped into her food or drink or something she took herself, uh, which caused the complete break. Residents say crime stemming from migrant workers isn't an isolated incident and more needs to be done to improve resources and support for these workers to make sure they're not left in isolating situations. Charges have been laid in connection with the murder of a 62-year-old Abbotsford man. Clarence Crothers was found dead inside an apartment in early July. Today, the integrated homicide investigation team announced a neighbor of his is facing second-degree murder charges. John Waugh has the details. That was the last time I heard his voice. The wounds still fresh. A month after his father, Clarence Crothers, was found dead in his Abbotsford apartment. It's been hell on earth. Most of the time I'm in a numb state because I still don't want to believe it. I still don't want to believe it. That hardship made a little easier now that police have charged 50-year-old Jeffrey Charles Halicki of Abbotsford with second-degree murder. I can confirm that the accused was known to us and that he had a criminal record for uh, offenses related to robbery, weapons possession, and manslaughter. Investigators releasing few details about what happened in the Braun Avenue apartment on July 4th. 
only that the two men knew each other. Can't get into the relationship because that will speak to motive. Now, according to Crothers' family and friends, they weren't exactly sure how he knew Jeffrey Halicki, but neighbors say that he was living just across the street here with his mother. He wasn't resident here. He wasn't supposed to be anyway. He got to be 55 again, living in here, I think. The property is run by a nonprofit offering low-income housing to single adults 55 years or older. We want the person who did this punished to the full extent of the law. We won't be satisfied with anything less. Loved ones speaking out wanting to keep the story about a father and friend taken too soon. It's hard to find good people in the world, and when you do and they're taken from you in this manner, it's just... It's so surreal. Crother's son, Joseph, thanking investigators for their hard work, pledging to be in court looking for justice. I would say that there's relief, but there's never going to be closure. The son's pain of not being able to learn more from a life, he says, that was built around being good with people. There's so many questions I still had for my father, the lessons in life. John Hua, Global News. The B.C. government making a big wildlife announcement today, ending the grizzly bear trophy hunt in this province. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. Keith, and obviously this has been a long time coming, the NDP following Mm -hmm. through on its campaign promise. Yeah, quick to implement it as well, uh, Chris. Uh, Although, let's be clear here, folks, the ban doesn't take effect until November 30th because the permits for this year's hunt, which begins tomorrow, actually, uh, were signed uh, and authorized during that caretaker period between the Liberals and the NDP assuming power. But it will end uh, once and for all on November 30th. We caught up with one of the main campaigners against the, the trophy bear hunt for a number of years. That's Joe Foy from the wilderness community. Needless to say, he's ecstatic. It's wonderful. It's terrific. We've been waiting for years and years and years, and finally it's here. It's been a terrible 16 years, especially when you consider grizzly bears have been wiped out in the center of the province. So we're very hopeful that by not, by not killing 250 bears a year, we can start bringing the population back to healthy, healthy numbers. All right, we heard the number 250 in that clip mm-hmm. there. Keith, do we know how many bears are actually going to be saved through this? Still unclear. We actually went at it a few times with the new forest minister, Doug Donaldson, on a conference call this afternoon. He was unable, and neither was his staff, able to provide a precise number. Uh, 170 of those bears were killed by resident hunters. 80 were killed by non-residents. We have to assume those 80 were likely trophy uh, hunts. So at the very least, I think at least 80 bears will be saved as a result of today's announcement. All right. Thanks very much, Keith Baldry and Victoria. More tonight on a fiery crash in Pitt Meadows where bystanders are being credited with saving a family from their burning vehicle. Our Tanya Beja spoke with the reluctant heroes today about how they jumped into action without even thinking about it. An SUV engulfed in flames moments after bystanders rescued the family of five trapped inside. I put the car in park and ran. Scott Brearley was one of about 10 people who rushed to the scene. Like I just knew I needed to get him out and that's all there was to it. The driver lost control after suffering a medical emergency on Lougheed Highway around 10.30 Saturday night. We're in the slow lane and then all of a sudden we see this car veer all the way from the fast lane all the way like it's trying to get onto the on-ramp but it just goes into the uh, concrete barrier and the hydro pole. And as soon as it hits on impact, it started on fire. The vehicle had also flipped over. The occupants couldn't get out. I think it took like three or four good rocks and heaves to get it rolled over. 
somebody said that the driver's side door was stuck, so we went over to the driver's side, and a bunch of people just started yarding on the door to rip it open, and eventually we bent it enough to start getting him out. The driver is now in critical condition, but first responders say the family survived because of the bravery of bystanders. There's absolutely no question they probably would have died in that fire if they, not for the actions of those people. Many others stood by, capturing the crash and blocking access for emergency crews. There was a guy in front of us where we parked that all he did was stand there with his video camera. And it's like, and you call yourself a man? Somebody's in trouble, get out there and help and do what you can. Rarely says he wants to do more first aid training. Both he and Dave Craig reluctant to take credit for their actions. Everybody there was a hero. It's not just one person. It was a, a big team effort. I'm just grateful I was there and being able to act like I could. Tanya Beja, Global News. Well done. Remember the U2 concert ticket fiasco? It took fans hours to get in because of the way tickets were being processed. So has BC Place learned its lesson? Tonight, how things are different with Metallica in town. What fans still need to know if they go in just over a minute. Donald Trump heavily criticized for not calling out racists after weekend violence finally finds the right words. What he said coming up. And the scorpion surprise found that a bunch of bananas, where it came from, later on the news hour. Metalheads attending the Metallica concert in Vancouver tonight are being advised to arrive early at BC Place. It's the first big concert since the ticket chaos back in May when U2 was in town. Our Ted Chernecki is there tonight. Ted, fans are being told to be prepared for delays, but they're not expected to be quite as bad as last time around. Well, I won't hope so because uh, that U2 concert was a debacle no matter how you looked at it. Uh, what always dealing with here are scalpers and these bots these, they use, these robots that uh, scoop up thousands of tickets. So they had this anti-scalping technology going on at the May concert with the U2 uh, people. And uh, there they were selling paperless tickets. And to, buy, to get in, you had to scan the credit card you used to buy those tickets. And that was delaying things. It wasn't working. They're not doing that here now. Also, they are telling Metallica fans, as you mentioned, to get here early, and they were here early. As early as 10 o'clock this morning, there was a crowd, and it was ebb and flowing all afternoon and morning. And uh, they opened the doors at 4 o'clock, and a lot of the fans got in early. And uh, plus, this is not a sold-out concert, and they have more entrances open at BC Play Stadium this time. So yes, they did learn a few things from that U2 event. Uh, we talked to the cash register guy when we were picking up our tickets, and they said that it's going to be completely different. Because with U2, they were scanning credit cards, looking at all the IDs. With this, we just have tickets, so... Yeah. And how did you get your tickets? We just went in there, gave them our credit card that we paid for, valid ID, and then just picked them up. It was pretty easy. I think they learned from U2. Yeah. yeah. What we want to do right now is to focus on getting rid of bots um, and ensuring that people, when they go online, have the confidence to know that uh, they are able to get a ticket. Now, Ontario's tried introducing anti-bot legislation, but as we know, the World Wide Web doesn't pay a lot of attention to geographical and political boundaries, so it's uh, unclear how that's going to work out just yet. Chris? All right, Ted Chernecki, down at BC Place, reporting for us tonight. Cooler weather on the lower mainland, no help for fire crews in the interior. I mean, when that fire happened in the area here, it was devastating. 
Why the biggest fire in the province is starting to make Kamloops residents a little nervous. And guess who made a surprise appearance in Vancouver today? We'll tell you where Jack Sparrow popped up. To the wildfire state of emergency now, the Elephant Hill fire is still the largest one currently burning in our province, having grown over the weekend to over 160,000 hectares. The long-awaited rain came, but it didn't even make a dent. The fire now getting dangerously close to Kamloops, and that has residents preparing for the worst. Water tanks are full. Um, I've got my fire pump and hose ready to go, sprinklers on the roof, garden hoses everywhere, got a generator ready in case the power goes out. And after that, we'll be down to battery, running with a village pump. And we're hearing dramatic first-hand accounts of the battle against these wildfires from Vancouver Island firefighters. They've just returned home after weeks on the front line. And as Nitu Garcha reports, their chilling stories come with a powerful message. I mean, just on this extinguisher alone, these were inside of cabinets in the trucks, but yet the dust still got on the inside of it. So now it's all about cleanup and getting the truck back uh, in service. The fire truck and everything in it, even over half a kilometre of hose being washed. You just hose it down from the top to the bottom. All members of the View Royal Fire Department back on Vancouver Island after a month in the interior, battling fires like many had never seen before. Oh my God. It, it was quite dangerous, but I mean, it was completely unpredicted. Fires that can change direction and grow in an instant, like seen here on Soda Creek Road just outside of Williams Lake. These trees were candling two, three hundred feet in the air, and the speed that uh, the fire came at the vehicles was just incredible. Never seen anything this big. Surreal, the only way some can describe battling the monster Elephant Hill blaze. And all of a sudden you'd see three individual plumes. Other days you would just, it would be a, a literal whiteout of smoke. You just put everything aside and everyone just worked together. Last week, this fire department helped raise about $10,000 for the Red Cross by sharing their personal stories at this luncheon. You lose some sense of what it's really all about unless you're hearing the stories firsthand. We're moving into more of the recovery phase, which is busy in a different way. And, um, you know, I was just reminded that in 2003, it was August 16th that Kelowna was evacuated. Harsh memories from 2003. In the Barry the Macar fire, that when we lost the Toko Mill, um, which was completely ironic because when we showed up on the 11th of July, we were tasked at protecting the Toko Mill in uh, Williams Lake. That mill still standing. As Williams Lake and other communities remain on high alert, so too do firefighters. Our direction at this time is standby. Nitu Garcha, Global News, near Victoria. All very thankful for the work they do. Donald Trump finally finds the right words. Racism is evil. Why his unscheduled remarks about racist violence are better late than never. And crackdown in Mexico, making sure you're getting the drink you paid for after the death of a young vacationer. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. 48 hours after a fatal protest in Charlottesville, Virginia, U.S. President Donald Trump condemning white supremacist groups by name. The clashes between Unite the Right protesters and counter-protesters over the weekend 
ended with a vehicle being driven into a crowd of anti-Nazi protesters, killing one and injuring many others. The suspect made his first court appearance today. More on that in just a moment. But first, the backlash for Trump's delayed response and how he's addressing the criticism now. President Trump today delivering the message many wanted sooner. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups. In unscheduled remarks, the president explicitly condemning those groups after he didn't on Saturday, triggering an onslaught of outrage in these last 48 hours. To anyone who acted criminally in this weekend's racist violence, you will be held fully accountable. Too little, too late, his critics say, with the CEO of Merck, Ken Frazier, quitting the president's manufacturing council as a matter of personal conscience. The president attacked Frazier on Twitter within minutes. His response to Charlottesville took longer to evolve. Saturday, an initial response seemed to spread the blame. Hatred, bigotry and violence on many sides, on many sides. By Sunday, even top Republicans wanted something stronger. Call this white supremacism, this white nationalism evil. Later, a response from an unnamed White House spokesperson slammed hate groups like the KKK with the attorney general this morning, insisting the president was forceful. He's not afraid to call out terrorism overseas. But here's a president that didn't do that. Why? The president did do that yesterday. His spokesman that said the that. President. Now? Can you explain why you did not condemn those hate groups by name over the weekend? They've been condemned. They have been condemned. The president sees the alt-right and, and white supremacists and all that, that crew as part of his base. His view, pull and keep as many of those voters as I can. The attack in Charlottesville, a reminder of the role of presidents in times of crisis, like September 11th. None of us will ever forget this day, yet we go forward to defend freedom. The Charleston Church shooting. Amazing All presidents meeting the moment, and for President Trump, a critical one now. Arraigned in district court today, 20-year-old James Alex Fields said he understood the charges against him. Second-degree murder, malicious wounding, and hit and run. Police say Fields used his car to intentionally mow down a crowd of anti-hate demonstrators on Saturday, killing 32-year-old Heather Heyer. Among the 19 people also injured, 20-year-old Natalie Romero, an ROTC student at UVA who suffered a fractured skull. Her mother in Texas. She's my hero. And she, before this, she has always been my hero. Heather Heyer's family says they're heartbroken. She was a strong, opinionated woman that was willing to stand up for what she believed in. I'm trying to honor my daughter and I, the way that I know she would want to be honored with speaking up for what she believed in and, and in the way she believed in it, without hate, without anger, without fear. The nationalist community defended ourselves against thugs. Outside the courthouse today, two self-proclaimed white nationalists began screaming that police, the media, and counter-protesters were to blame for Saturday's violence. The nationalist community came to Charlottesville to defend our heritage, to stand for Robert E. Lee. Today, this photo of suspect Fields standing among white nationalists at Saturday's rally 
Meanwhile, police who lost two troopers in a helicopter crash Saturday <laughs> responded to allegations they didn't do enough to keep the peace. Absolutely, I have regrets. And what are your regrets? We lost three lives this weekend. We certainly have regrets. It was a tragic, tragic weekend. Foreign Affairs confirming today two Canadians are among the 18 killed after an attack in Burkina Faso. Suspected extremists opened fire at a popular restaurant in the West African nation Sunday. The identities of the Canadians have not been released. At least seven locals and several other foreign nationals were also killed. No group has claimed responsibility for the violence yet. Al-Qaeda did carry out, though, a similar attack last year. Authorities have seized thousands of gallons of tainted alcohol from dozens of tourist hotspots in Mexico. The crackdown comes after an American college student died back in January. And we get more on today's massive raid from NBC News. For the family of 20-year-old Abby Connor, her death still doesn't make sense. For both of my kids to both black out at the same time and be found face down in a, in a waist-deep pool during the middle of the day, there's something wrong. Abby's father thinks tainted alcohol was to blame. Her brother survived. Their blood alcohol level three times the legal limit back home after what he believes was just a few shots at the start of a family vacation in Mexico. Now authorities there have seized 10,000 gallons of tainted alcohol from a supplier after raiding more than 30 hotels and nightclubs in popular tourist spots in Cancun and Playa del Carmen, including the Ibera Star Hotel where Abby died. Officials also closed a bar at that hotel, but Ibera Star says the closure was not due to tainted alcohol and guest safety is a top priority. Just last month, the State Department updated its travel warning to Mexico, cautioning about tainted alcohol. Stop and seek medical attention if you begin to feel ill. A recent report found 43% of all alcoholic beverages consumed in the country are illegally produced. Travelers should be concerned about what's taking place in Mexico. They definitely need to make sure that they're being diligent. Abby's family is planning to file a lawsuit against their hotel. Her father says he's heard from dozens of travelers who have experienced blackouts or worse after drinking alcohol in Mexico. On Father's Day, he met the man who received Abby's heart, but he says she's not done saving lives. Her story, raising concerns about tainted alcohol so that no other family feels this kind of loss. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, about 80% of millennial moms say they suffer from loneliness, according to a recent survey. Health experts say mom loneliness can lead to depression and have a tremendously negative impact on a child's future. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the Mom Mobile is in town today, hoping to raise awareness and showcase a new app that could help. If there's a way to have fun, children will find it. Even if it involves washing over 6,000 kilometers of grime off a bright pink RV. It's been a long journey. We arrived here in Vancouver with the feeling that uh, we accomplished our mission. David and Audrey, along with their two children, Timothy and Abigail, began their journey in Halifax six weeks ago. Their mission, to help young mothers struggling with the isolation that parenthood can bring, something Audrey understands firsthand. I felt lonely. I wanted to connect with other moms. I had friends that didn't have 
kids yet that I didn't want to go at their home because uh, they don't want my kids to throw up on their couch. And so she developed an app, Social.Mom, designed to help mothers connect in their own communities. It's kind of a blend of Facebook and Tinder, but only for moms. The goal is for the mom to connect with each other face-to-face, to create events, to, to make new friends and to get out of their house or to invite moms in their house. Bringing their idea to fruition and marketing it cross-country with a giant traveling billboard hasn't been cheap, but it seems to be paying off. We launched uh, five weeks ago. We already have more than 10,000 downloads. So I I think the moms like it. They hope to fund the app, which is free for moms to download and use, by attracting advertisers. Once they've worked all that out, it'll be time to start the next project. Yay! I know that there's more and more dads uh, taking care of their child and struggling with this too, and we we plan to do social.dad, but we don't have a date for the moment. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, many people know that actor Johnny Depp is in town filming his latest movie, Richard Says Goodbye. And this afternoon, he made a group of local children very happy. You do. I have no sword. I come in peace. Depp morphed into his Pirates of the Caribbean character, Captain Jack Sparrow, to visit kids at BC Children's Hospital, and he never dropped out of character. I didn't wake up in the morning knowing that I was going to see Johnny Depp today. Pretty amazing. Captain Jack Sparrow spent about two hours at the hospital. A visit they will never forget. Well done, Johnny Depp. Well, certainly not what you want to find in a bunch of bananas. It appears to be a scorpion. Where it came from and what happened to it, still to come. And have we just solved the mystery of why there's no toilet paper in the outhouse? The squirrel thief caught on camera. A shocking discovery after a shopping trip to Costco. A Halifax family creeped out by what they found in their bag of bananas. That's coming up right after the forecast. Yeah, you don't like spiders, that might be worse. Here's Christy Gordon now with a look at our weather. Christy. Thanks so much, Chris. Well, it sure is nice to see the blue sky out there, isn't it? And we saw that yesterday and again today. I know we're seeing some cloud cover right now, but after stagnant pattern for nearly two weeks with the smoky skies, it is really nice to breathe a breath of fresh air. Now, the big question is, we've broken the pattern. Are we going to continue to see rain in the coming days? That's what I'm going to show you in a few seconds. First, though, it is certainly cool out there. We only warmed up to 20 degrees, but we'll take it. The visibility is unlimited. Here's a look at at the air quality advisory so pushed off across coastal regions and still in place though in the interior where the smoke is thickest and I don't expect it to change much for those of you in the interior now this is the reason for the change in the pattern we now have a westerly flow and that's allowing systems to move onshore uh, it did bring some rain for the interior regions but not enough over the weekend and along with it we had a number of lightning strikes so over 32 fires ignited because of lightning over the weekend now we're seeing uh, dry conditions, a fair amount of cloud and relative humidity has come up, but it's so dry out there. We really need a super soaker of a rain to really make a difference in there. What we're watching is this system here, and as we've seen time and time again so far this summer, this system is going to travel across the northern regions and bring in just a chance of showers across the south. For the south coast, we are going to remain dry. We'll see the cloud cover and slightly cooler temperatures, but not much change after that. Here's a look at 
tomorrow. So periods of rain across the north coast and that will shift into these northern regions as we head into our Wednesday, bringing a chance of showers into areas like Prince George, but otherwise southern regions hot and dry. Uh, sorry, not really hot. It's actually a little cooler. I'm used to saying hot and dry. I said that for nearly two weeks. Now we're talking about more seasonal temperatures, uh, but it is certainly still dry with no significant rain in the forecast. South coast, that's the same for us. 22 is average for this time of year. So today was actually below average. And look at this. We maintain those conditions right through until Friday. I've put in a 30% chance towards the weekend. I'm not exactly positive about that. It's not looking, uh, it's not looking convincing, but I've just kept that in just in case. All right. Two belated birthdays. Grace Blair and Norman Gill. Peggy Schofield celebrated 104 today. And uh, Bozina Morazic celebrating 100 years and Betty Brown uh, also celebrating a birthday today. Look at this beautiful shot from Mount Chin that's in Chilliwack and looking out over uh, the lower mainland with some smoke and a little bit of cloud. Thanks to Dan for that beautiful shot. It can be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Now in retrospect, right? Yeah, like now that we're thinking back on it. <laughs> Thanks mm-hmm. very much, Christy. Well, in Halifax, one family got more than they bargained for after grocery shopping on Friday. We noticed something moving in the bananas, and it appears to be a scorpion. Yes, they purchased a bag of bananas, noticed something squirming in the bag when they brought it home. Thankfully, the scorpion didn't sting anyone. They took the arachnid to the Nova Scotia Museum of Natural History, where it was put down for safety and health reasons. It will become part of their collection there. The first thing we try to do is uh, see if it will feed, and it wasn't interested in feeding, so the decision was made at that time then to uh, put it down because there is a, there's always a risk involved in, in any venomous animal. You know, now when I go for the bananas, I'll probably take a look, but uh, not planning to do much differently. Zoologists say finding scorpions in your fruit is rare, but not unheard of. Costco has since apologized to the family. And what we're about to show you is another incredibly rare sight. Check out this footage of a white moose in Sweden that's gone viral, all thanks to the power of social media. There are only an estimated 100 of these in the country. You may think they're albino, but they're not. They actually grow white fur from a genetic mutation. You think he's got a whole house full of it? And check out this cheeky little guy at a campground in Alberta. The video... (laughs) Shot by a visitor from Karameos, the squirrel taking off with an essential from both the men and women's restrooms, toilet paper, and lots of it. He reportedly kept coming back over and over, definitely patting his nest. Can't do without the two-ply, eh? Look at him go. I can't read that story without thinking about Simon McCoy, the BBC anchor, who was totally unimpressed by surfing dogs, but come on. Thief, squirrel, let's be honest. Jay's in for Squire uh, right now. Nice to see you. Thank you very much. You know, even before there was a single snap taken before yesterday's blowout loss to the Riders, Lions head coach Wally Buono was calling his team out. When I walk in here, you guys should be doing what? Coming together. Act like we're not interested. Okay, Wally, let's go talk to them, buddy, because they don't want to listen. What Wally's saying today following the Lions 41-8 pasting by the Riders. We'll hear from him coming up in sports. And the one-week countdown to the total solar eclipse. Everything you need to know. Nobody wants to pile on after that BC Lions game on the weekend, so we're going to let you do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's easy to do, isn't it? Thanks, Chris. Evening, everybody. According to the CFL's communications department, 2.2 million Canadians watched yesterday's Riders-Lions game. 
second highest viewed CFL game of the year. How many stuck around for the final whistle of the Riders 41-8 throttling of the Lions isn't known, but our unofficial research does tell us countless Lions fans across the province suffered from norovirus-like symptoms associated with BC's stomach-churning effort. Seven turnovers highlighted by John Jennings' four picks. It was a total no-show from the Lions in one of the ugliest games we've seen in years. No huddle, second and five. Here comes more pressure, and it's a deep You know, the thing that I was most disappointed with is is that, uh, you know, we didn't grasp the moment. Uh, you know, we knew it was going to be a tough physical game. We knew it was going to be down to the wire. And, you know, uh, uh, we didn't start that way, and we definitely didn't end that way. You know, I'm not going to put all the onus on the offensive line. Uh, when they rush three... Uh, you know, there's going to be pressure on the quarterback, but there's also going to be pressure on the uh, on the offensive line. But, you know, as a whole, the offensive unit didn't play well, way too many turnovers, uh, you know, way uh, too many negative plays. Uh, you know, that's something definitely we have to improve on. Jennings to pressure coming underneath. Is intercepted. You know, as a team, there was no positives. Uh, you know, we went into a hostile environment to... With a team that I believed was desperate, because when you look at the West, you look at how competitive the West is. If they'd have lost, they pretty much would have been out of it. So, you know, uh, the players, uh, you know, uh, didn't realize that we tried to emphasize that to them all week about, you know, that it was going to be a very physical, very tough game. And, uh, you know, Saskatchewan took it to us. I I think as a football club, we're, we're the ones that should be reacting. Uh, one, you know, you should be embarrassed for yourself, uh, for your organization, and for your fans. So, you know, I, I hope we react like like uh, the riders did. You know, the, they take it on personally, and, and they personally get themselves ready to play a very tough game on Friday. Yeah, Stamps are here on Friday. BC Alliance could have used this guy. Adam Big Hill continues to impress down south. Biggie putting together a strong training camp for the New Orleans Saints. Played in their exhibition, lost to Cleveland. He made a solo tackle. Saints originally wanted to bring Biggie in last season, made inquiries during week 15 of the NFL season. But because he was still under contract with the Lions, he had to wait until the offseason. And the thing about the Saints and head coach Sean Payton, they're not afraid to give CFL guys a shot. Yeah, I mean, they've given guys here an opportunity. Uh, you know, they've proven they don't really care where you come from. Uh, as long as when you come here and you can play, they're going to give you an opportunity. And so that was definitely a reason why uh, I made my way here. And, um, you know, good, good organization with uh, good coaches and good, good people here. You mentioned coverage skills in the CFL. Have they translated here? Do you feel like that's the strength of what you do here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, the field's a little bit tighter, um, you know, and I, I feel like my coverage so far has been pretty good. One-on-ones with the backs have been pretty good, and, you know, I think I'll be able to show that. You know, I, I just, I've always known in my heart that, you know, I want to compete on the biggest level, and um, I know I have the skills and the talent to do so, and, you know, I just want to come down here and show that. And, um, you know, so as far as the financial, it's it's not really about that. It's, it's about um, just making this opportunity count record-setting performance turned in by our bc athletes at the canada games 146 medals most ever by our bc athletes tyler wall of Penticton, north vancouver's raven Dahman owned the pool wall nine medals Dahman eight including five gold 
unbelievable results in the pool. On the mat, BC's wrestlers grabbed 15. The women took team gold as well as seven individual gold medals. Medals came on the links as well. Men's and women winning silver in team competition. Alicia Lau of Richmond, silver. Tristan Mandor of Mill Bay, bronze in individual play. Six BC tennis players combining for team silver. Men's and women's doubles team winning bronze. Uh, Dudney's Alex Brett kayaked his way to a pair of bronze medals. 14-year-old Cassidy McPherson of Maple Ridge won gold in, on the pavement. Jillian Elsie of Courtney, gold in the time trial criterion. Jay Lamoureux of Victoria, a couple of bronze medals. And the volleyball team, bronze medal after a tight, intense five-setter against Team Quebec. How's that for jumping for bronze joy? And the women's softball team winning their fourth consecutive Canada Games gold medal. A tremendous two weeks by all of our BC's athletes. 146 medals. Congratulations to every athlete. Josh Donaldson, Blue Jays, opening up a set against Tampa Bay. Donaldson drilled a two-run homer yesterday during the uh, Jays' 7-1 blasting the Pirates. Did it again tonight. First inning, two-run shot. They are in the eighth inning. It is still 2-1 for the Blue Jays. They remain four games out of a wild-card spot. Chris, that is it for sports. Got to keep winning. All right, thanks very much, Jay. Here's Andrew, and now the preview of Global News tonight at 11. Ann? Thanks, Chris. And all eyes on BC Place tonight where crowds are gathering for the Metallica concert. Will lessons be learned from the chaos at U2's concert back in May? And while many are applauding the decision to ban the grizzly bear trophy hunt, there are businesses that rely on that hunt. We'll hear from them and how they feel about a hunt that is seen as brutal by many. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris? Well, for a lot of people, it is the celestial event of the century, so far anyway. Anticipation reaching a fevered pitch ahead of next Monday's total solar eclipse, the first in 99 years, visible coast to coast. And if you miss this, your next chance won't be till 2045. The countdown is underway, less than a week to go. And in towns like Hopkinsville, Kentucky, Makenda, Illinois, and Madras, Oregon... A flood of spectators getting ready to see what happens when the moon blocks the sun. A ribbon of darkness will descend across the United States from the northwestern Oregon all the way to Charleston, South Carolina. The shadow, approximately 67 miles wide, will race across the country at an average of 1,700 miles per hour, two times faster than a supersonic jet. It'll be a celestial show lasting more than four hours, but the total eclipse, which is so rare, will last at most two minutes, 38 seconds. So the biggest thing is safety first. We never look at the sun with, our, with, a, with an unprotected eye. Harvard astrophysicist Dr. Kelly Corrick says protective glasses are a must. NASA says just because something is labeled as solar viewing glasses online does not mean they're what you need. No matter where you are in the continental United States, you'll get a glimpse of the eclipse here in Miami. It'll be 80%. The glasses are a must, with the symbol inside ISO. But because that can even be faked, when you put the glasses on and look up, you shouldn't be able to see anything until the moon moves in front of the sun during the most watched eclipse ever. I am absolutely giddy about uh, the event and actually seeing something with my own eyes. Miss it now. Your next chance will be 2024. Kerry Sanders, NBC News, Miami. Well, he says 2024, but that's a little bit further south of here in the zone of totality. We are just outside the zone of totality. So it'll be 88% blocked. Right. So it'll still look pretty neat. If there's no clouds. 
If there's no clouds, that's right. So uh, we're still a ways away from being able to determine if there are any clouds. Uh, mm-hmm. So you'll have to stay tuned for that one, and we'll, of course, let you know. Yeah, make sure you're using the right glasses, too. A little concerning that they're selling some fake ones out there. So make sure you get the right stuff. And just so people know, one of the reasons for it is if you you wouldn't look at the sun, of course, without mm-hmm. with your naked eye. But it's also because you, if it was in an eclipse, you could look at it.